Hi Pirates, this is Brian from Middlesex, but always Jersey City in my heart, class of 92. Thanks for the amazing memories these past few years. You've always given me a reason to look forward to March, but more importantly, thanks for letting me pass on my love of Seton Hall basketball to my kids. Now they watch games with me, go to games with me, and they send me texts on Monday morning when the hall moves around in the rankings. That's a great gift. Congrats to Avent, Roe, Q, and Miles, and to all the Pirates for ending the year as Big East champions. Nothing can take that away. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around and in. And a foul. Whitehead ties the game. Pow from Trenton. What Trenton makes, the world takes. Coming to you just west of the Ward Place Gate from San Diego, California. He is Mike Dizzy Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tommy Chilkoharski, class of 1997. And we are Left Coast Pirates. In the words of that famous San Diego sportscaster, Ron Burgundy, well, that escalated quickly. A week ago, we were asking John Fanto whether the cancellation of the Ivy League tournament was the start of it all or just an outlier. And well, everyone knows the rest. So with that in mind, how you doing, Mikey? Uh, Tommy, you want this to be awake. But for everyone, man, awake's just like a completely different perspective. Unfortunately, I had a friend who recently passed away way too soon in life. You know, the Italian way that I'm used to dealing with this is the way that his family went about the remembrance. You know, you, you hover over the dead body, you say, why God did it have to end so soon? And you just cry until there's no more tears to be shed. You know, you share heartfelt words, but the sadness still lingers, man. You know, you raise a glass out of respect, but it's hard to move on so quickly. This is kind of exactly how I feel right now. You know, where we sit today, you know, the coronavirus has come in and taken away a true love of mine. The 2019-2020 Seton Hall men's basketball season, Tommy, it's over. I'm still standing here in shock and disbelief that this is all happening. A long-suffering diehard fan. I'm asking God, why did it have to end here? And I don't think I've gotten out all the tears and sadness out of me yet. I'm not ready to move on. There will be a time in which I'm ready to raise a glass to this team and celebrate their accomplishments, no doubt. But I'm not there yet, man. Well, that's fair. I'm not about to tell people how they should feel about something like this. But Michael, the healing needs to start. And what better way to start it than talking about some of the things that made you happy. You know, sports in general are supposed to be this distraction from the real world. No matter how depressing it is, sports can be there to take your mind off things. And now in this case, those worlds have collided dramatically. Right now, sports are unavailable. So why not bring up some of the things that we can celebrate from this season and be happy about it? 
You know, we had quite a debate, to put it mildly, behind the scenes about the what the fan base wants and what's trending on social media. Now, I never realized you were such a connoisseur of all things Twitter, but this past week, I've seen a lot of Seton Hall fans thanking the team for the season that they gave us. So I want to make sure that we don't go too far down the rabbit hole and make sure we stick to some positivity at least. But we'll see how well I do with the master of darkness. The master of darkness. Debbie Downer, sour grapes and gripes. Light them up. I'm ready to go. So this week on the podcast, we will talk about the biggest player of the year, Miles Powell. We're going to talk about the coronavirus and its fallout related to college basketball, both serious and silly. And we're going to have a few fans join us and give personalized messages to the team and try to make this a positive experience. But first, Miles Powell. 2019-2020 Biggest Player of the Year. You got to bring it down a notch. It's it's definitely kind of bittersweet, uh, don't you think? I mean, I'm just not ready. I'm not in that celebratory mood again, right? So, you know, it should be a big deal in Seton Hall history. He's only the third guy to receive this honor, and, and I know he deserves all the praise and all the accolades, but it just – and I, it, maybe it's a positive moment – in this, you know, hour of darkness, however you want to spin it. But I just feel like it's unfortunate because we should be over the top celebrating this accomplishment for Miles. And it just, it comes at a a really bad time, unfortunately. I don't think there's anything bittersweet about it. And I think to some degree, you're diminishing the accomplishment, Mike. I know we're going to get into breaking it down and explaining how it happened, but let's look at it. The Big East Player of the Year is basically the Big East best regular season player. They completed the regular season. It was done. Big East tournament starts. All of a sudden, we're announcing all these wins. Now, I'm more shocked that he got it based on how his numbers look like in the Big East. But I heard the numbers weren't that big a deal. It was more of a recognition of every team needing to know where he was every single time down court. And if that's not recognition of who's most important or or who's the best player on a team, nothing is. But, Mike, let's break this down a little bit. All right, so let's do the argument for and the argument against. We've got nothing else to talk about right now, so let's really decide from a critical and analytical perspective, does he deserve the award or should it have possibly gone to somebody else? So I'll start with a couple bullet points for the argument against, okay? People will come out and say that Marcus Howard's numbers were clearly off the charts better than Miles He's the nation's leading scorer, and his field goal percentages were just very, very efficient. Were they not? Oh, absolutely. He was He's spectacular, and he actually did it against us this year, which was shocking. So, And here's the other part of this debate is it's not just Powell versus Howard like it was last year. There are other guys that have kind of gotten integrated into this argument. So you have Tyshawn Alexander from Creighton, who clearly to me was – one of the best two-way players in the entire conference. He was third in scoring in the Big East, so I know he wasn't putting up the gaudy numbers like Howard and Powell, averaging about 17 points a game, but he's he's right there in the mix for one of the more prolific scorers in the conference. He could have been Defensive Player of the Year. And yes, his team also finished tied for first, 
when they were predicted to finish seventh, they beat Seton Hall twice. And who was the primary guy assigned to shutting down Miles Powell? Tyshawn Alexander. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he's got to get some recognition in here. And then there's there's a couple more guys you got to throw around. I mean, we talked about Sadiq Bey with John Fanta. He kind of poo-pooed it and said, you know what? Just Nova's got too much balance. But if we're talking about guys that stepped up because there was not balance, how about Kamar Baldwin? I mean, where the heck would Butler be without him? Last place? Could you make the argument that if Baldwin was just average, Butler is potentially the doormat of the Big East? I mean, they're a good team. Team. But at times, he put them on their back and carried them. Highlighted by that last game at Xavier, 35 points. The game winner, basically, as time expired, as they're trailing by two. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that Miles did last year, and Baldwin did it throughout the entire season. I think he had, what, like two or three buzzer beaters just this season alone. I'll say this. Kamar Baldwin is the scariest man in the Big East this year with the ball in his hand and the clock expiring. His nickname was the silent assassin, Kevin said on his last Big East uh, conference call. It it really does fit because he's bringing up that ball in that Xavier game with like under 10 seconds to go. And I'm like, they're down two. He's got to go. And he's casually bringing the ball up, dribbles over, gets to his spot, and just calmly, bang, did it there, did it against Nova. Uh, just, Just impressive. And then last but not least, you said it already, Miles' numbers were not dominant. So 39% from the floor, 26.5% from three-point range during Big E's play. Now, he still scores 21 points a game, but the percentages were ordinary. So that, that's the argument against. You well, can play the other the, side the, of the since card. You're, since you've done a good job of being Debbie Downer, let me bring up the arguments for. He clearly was the best player on his team by far. It's kind of a Kamar Baldwin situation where name me the second best player on Butler. You probably can't. You're probably going down to McDermott maybe. But he was the best. You look at the rest of it. We already talked about Nova. We already talked about Nova. You know, you look at Tyshawn Alexander. I don't know that he's the most important player on his team, man. Marcus Zegarovsky comes in there. He gets hurt. And all of a sudden, it's a dogfight with St. John's in that first-round game. We look at Baldwin and Marcus Howard. Their teams didn't fare so well. I mean, I know it's not most valuable player. It's still player of the year. But these things have to be taken into consideration. Miles is still scoring 21 points, but he wasn't one-dimensional. He grabbed almost four and a half boards a game at 6'2 shooting guard. That's crazy. He had almost three assists per game. He had about a steal and a half per game, which was tied for eighth in the league. He was a complete player, and when one thing wasn't working, he was still contributing in other facets. He seemed to wear down toward the end of the season injuries kind of caught up probably supposedly there was some tendonitis of the knee he lost some time to concussion and the turned ankle but he had to be accounted for on every single possession that he was out there there was nobody else that you had to worry that much about in the league all right tom so final take in your opinion you've heard both sides of the argument now does he deserve it or not from my heart yes i mean 
He's Miles Powell. I thought this kid was going to be special from that Iowa game back in his freshman year. I know I've said it over and over. I didn't think he was going to be this special, but I thought he was going to be special. Now, from the eye test, I don't know. From a non-homer perspective, was his season really that much better from a Marcus Howard, from a Kamar Baldwin, or from whoever you get the point? I don't know. But if it's good enough for the coaches who vote for this, I guess it's going to be good enough for me. So I'm, I'm going to play glass half full now for you. How about that? I'm going to shock you. I think he deserves it. I think it's unfair that there was this expectation of national player of the year hype placed on him. Maybe fair, You're the one unfair. that put it on him. You're the one the that put the hype train. You were the conductor top- on it. I'm not the one writing the articles. I had him ranked as the third best player in the nation when the, when the, the rankings came out in the preseason. Cassius Winston, Marcus Howard, Miles Powell, boom, right there, number three. From the get-go, not us, the national media. And, and he deserved it. But once he got vaulted into that type of stratosphere, and then he comes out of the gate on national television against Michigan State and puts on this ungodly performance against the nation's best defense, supposedly. That was it. The bar was elevated to a level that he was not going to be able to meet night in and night out. And he put it 37 against Michigan State. So from the get-go, he was the national player of the year, and everybody else had to chase him down. And then he has the injuries. He has the concussion. He has everything but the kitchen sink, or maybe even including the kitchen sink, thrown at him from a defensive perspective on a night-in and night-out basis. And in my opinion, with very little assistance from Kevin Willard to come up with a game plan. Save it. Save it for the recap. No, no, no. It's relevant to my reason why he's the player of the year here. This doesn't sound very glass full, Michael. When I'm talking about Kevin, it's never. But when when I get to the culmination point here about Miles, it'll make sense. So because Kevin didn't come up with a chiropractic adjustment on a night in and night out basis to get Miles uh, easier shots get them to be more efficient, to have the offensive work from a better continuity perspective. I think the other coaches said, you know what? I got to vote for Miles because of that. I got to realize that, you know what? Look what I do to get my best player shots. Look what I do to kind of, you know, mediate the game situation. And Kevin doesn't do that. Oh, man, someone's projecting. Extra check in the box for Miles Powell. The coaches voted, and so it is player of the year in my book and in everybody else's go miles all right let's talk about the 800 pound gorilla that has caused all this nonsense the coronavirus michael where do you want to start man i I don't think the ncaa had a choice in the matter from this national pandemic we were facing i i understand that they were trying to hold out hope whether you want to say it was money, whether it was say it was personal greed, whether it was just the love of the game. But the minute that Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz tested positive and you had the optics of the Fred Hoiberg coaching situation where he's basically dying on the sideline in the Big Ten tournament game and needs to get rushed to the hospital, it was over. But that's not how it happened, Mike. That's not the timeline, and it will save everybody from having to listen to it again. See, I don't agree with that in the least bit. Last week, John Phantom mentioned that a lot of things were going to be decided once the NBA met, but it wasn't decided right away. 
you know, this is without making this into an NBA podcast, there's a world of difference between Commissioner Adam Silver of the NBA and President Mark Emmert of the NCAA. The NCAA, in my opinion, is an amoral organization. They care about one thing, bottom line. And that's all they care about. And it wasn't until the majority of the conferences canceled their tournaments that they announced something. They could have been the leader of the pack. That's what they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be this overarching umbrella of leadership. And nothing happened. So so does... Does Val Ackerman take a take a shot too? Because every conference tournament on Thursday was canceled, and there's St. John's and Creighton taking the court for the first half of that game. I, I don't think it's I don't think it's unfair to take a shot at her. I mean, you know, she I think she handled herself really well in her press conference. She answered questions. She didn't shy away. But yeah, take shots at her. I think it's fair. She's getting paid enough. She she could take these shots. So here's the point. Let, let's look at it from a postponement from a can- versus a cancellation perspective. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Why didn't they just postpone like the NBA? I'll let you go pros this time. I'll do cons. Well, I don't know if I agree with the pros, but we'll, <laughs> we'll go over. But let, let's look at it from that standpoint. If they did postpone it, it would have given the fans something to hang on to in a time of confusion and despair. You know, you don't th- you don't you don't want to be locked in your house right now with nothing on television. Wouldn't you be wouldn't you love to be huddled around the TV looking for something sports related right now? I don't know, man. The tribe called Kaharski had a two on three basketball tournament yesterday out in the front yard. We had a grand old time. But you lost, no. didn't you? you the, the girls took you down, didn't they? <laughs> they always take me down, man. <laughs> But getting back there, I mean, they, you know, at least gives you that hope to hang on to. Now, whether that hope's realistic or not is another story. Now, additionally, they would have been able to maintain that revenue generating opportunity that the NCAA only cares about and bring it down to all the rest of the college basketball schools. Well, it's important to put that bullet point into context, though. It's not about the ticket sales because they were obviously not going to play the tournament with fans in the building, but the revenue generated by the CBS TNT uh, media agreement is just massive, right? And apparently they were able to save half of that commitment cost by backing out early at this point, right? That's what I read. So unfortunately, I think they were holding on for dollars and cents not for the benefit of what that money does for all the teams and organizations that it trickles down to. All right, here's the cons. You know what? You don't know when this pandemic is going to pass, Tommy. So, you know, what would have been the actual permanent cancellation timeline? Were they going to just sit there and hold out hope that we're going to come back and play in the fall next year? No, no, that's that's not realistic. So what was that window going to be? Was it going to be May, June? But when was it going to be? I, I don't know if you can get into May. You're going to have colleges start preparing for finals, preparing for graduation. You can't have these kids going into that worried about playing a game. And now you've stretched out six, seven weeks potentially of teams not doing anything. Are they going to be in game shape? When can practices resume? I mean, it's, you know, I mean... Colleges. We don't even know it. We don't know if this passes exactly. in that time period. Exactly. We're, we're now we're now getting more information as time goes along, and we're hearing that you know eight to nine weeks could be the reality. It could come. It could go. It could be back again. 
We have no idea. So to dangle this carrot of the unknown, even though it might have held out some hope, I think it would have been a con because it just would have been that much more deflating when they officially canceled it later down the road. Um, you know what? We also have to talk about the logistics of actually pulling this off. Everyone's just like, oh, okay. Well, when if we know we're going to be able to play now, just set it all up again. It doesn't work that way. Hotels, transportation, venues, everything, right? The, the availability of the logistics that were already set in place way in advance is not just replaced in the matter of moments if they say we can play. All right, let's, the, the let's venues talk about are the, the venues are the Go easiest ahead. points, man. Just do them on campus. You got a big on-campus arena, play it there. You got a small on-campus arena, play it there. That's no, the easy part. That. You can't do that. Sure you the can. Tournament, sure you it's can. All about, this is not the NIT. This is not the NIT. The NCAA is all about in, a new... In this kind of case, that doesn't matter. Neutral site. I'm gonna. I want to try to maintain the integrity of the tournament. I'm not playing Kentucky on campus against the 16 seed. Come Michael, on, you're not you doing just that. used the term integrity NCAA in the same sentence. Sh- shame on, on me. Sh- shame on me. All right, Let- let's talk about the players again. You were talking about graduation and practice time, but how about seniors that have actually just chosen to move on in life? There are players that are going to getting uh, starting into the workforce, and there are also players that are going to start professionally their basketball career moving forward. So the NBA, international play, are they going to come back and risk an injury when they got the draft prep coming up? Uh, Or they're actually moving on to that next phase of their life? I don't know. Does that make sense? It doesn't make sense in the least bit. I mean, and, and we'll get into the eligibility question later of bringing guys back. But they're, that's the problem. That's the difference between the NBA and the NCAA seasons. We're compacted. NBA goes on till middle of July. They have a lot more time to figure this out. The NBA is not coming back to finish their regular season, if that. They're no, coming no, I just back mean and playing finishing the playoffs. The I get season. it. You finish the season to get through right. the the championships. Yeah, their championships played in like the end of July, it feels like. I get whatever. I, I, I hate the NBA. I'm not even going to go there. All right, <laughs> you sound what like I, a Knicks fan. But what I am a Knicks fan. What, what's there to be a fan of? Okay, move, moving on. Man, this whole thing is going to be sour grapes and gripes. But, but this is an idea that I liked, right? So at first, I wanted postponement. Then I came to the realization that cancellation was the prudent decision. But the idea that really kind of caught my eye came from Dan Gavitt, who proposed the concept of a 16-team tournament. This was kind of interesting, right? It would have been at-large bids for what the committee perceived to be the best 16 teams. No conference restrictions or required representation. They would have had three rounds played on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, with a championship game played Monday in the original location down in Atlanta. And the games would have been played in front of no fans. So, Tommy, assuming the pandemic didn't reach its current status, good idea or bad idea? I don't like it personally. I know you just said you were excited about it. So, Mike, tell me why you were excited about it. I love it. I love the concept. I mean, not reality anymore, but it would have been pretty cool concept, just to say the least, right? The best of the best. I understand the NCAA tournament's all about Cinderella and the upsets, but when you get to like a Elite Eight game and you have the one, you know, crushing like the Cinderella 11, that's not, that doesn't really do anything for me, right? But now you got the best 16 teams in the country. Every game is a marquee game. You have 
the best of the best. And it provides some closure, Tommy. There, there's a champion. And, and no one's going to sit there and argue if the 15 seed didn't get a chance to represent itself. You're going to crown a champion once again amongst one of the elite teams in the country. So therefore, I think you have closure. And I'm going to be a little selfish. Seton Hall would have most likely been one of those teams. They're, they were in that field. You could debate me that they're not in that field. All the AP polls said they were 16th. The net was 15. Oh, all the bracketology had them as a solid three. Was it debatable? Yeah, I don't think so. I, I think they were in that, that group of top 16. I don't care that there would have been three teams from the Big East. That wouldn't have held them back. Seton Hall was in that field of 16. That would have been pretty cool. And you also get representation of eight of the conferences in those final 16 teams. You would have had the SEC, you would have had the Big Ten, you would have had the Big 12, you would have had the Big East, you would have had the Mountain West, you would have had the WCC, you would have had the A-10 with Dayton, and, and I'm missing somebody here. Did I miss the ACC? Yeah, I missed the ACC, the heck with Duke. <laughs> so, Mike, let me just get this straight. So we're only going to put 16 schools at risk rather than 64. That's absolutely commendable. Let me give a round of applause for Dan Gavitt, Vice President on the NCAA. Kudos. Thank goodness that the bigger-named, bigger-ranked, bigger-ratings-drawing schools would somehow find their way into the NCAA. Oh, my God. Goodness, does that make me? That's that's heartwarming. Now, Mike, that's not fair. Wait a minute, we're no, talking no, about no, if, no, we're no. talking about before we had all the information no, of the no, disease. No, 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 stop it! If you're canceling, you're canceling. You can't reduce it. But let's look at it, Mike. There are 32 conferences in the NCAA. You want nine of them, eight of them to get in and screw everybody else. That, that, that's not what the tournament's all about. There's a reason there's 300-some-odd teams in the Division One NCAA world. This is just another way to find support for the big power conferences. It just so happens that we had these outliers coming in. Yes, Gonzaga's a top team every year. They seem to make it. They would have been represented. DA-10 is lucky it's got Dayton. We're lucky that SDSU is having a big, strong show in this year. This is nothing more than to get ratings. And Mike, think about the arguments that happen when you snub Team 69. Think about the nightmare Jim Beheim would be going through and how he'd be screaming that we need at least an 18-team field to get Syracuse in. Are you kidding yeah, yeah, me? Yeah, Jimmy was 17 and 14. Jimmy can go play some golf on a secluded course wherever he wants to go play. Jimmy would have come up with some sort of argument saying, just pay attention to our wins. Don't pay attention to our losses. That's how he normally does it. Don't pay attention to the five guys leaving my program now either. <laughs> You'd still be sitting there playing a, a large number of games in a short amount of time. You're risking more injury. You're risking a whole lot of things outside of the potential coronavirus world. I mean, they'd play, I think the suggestion was playing four games in five days. That's not what the tournament's about. That's not even what the conference tournament's about. That's a real, that's a lot of games for any team pro or college to play in that shortened amount of time and again they'd be playing in front of empty arenas we'd hear a lot of sneaker squeaking 
like it was some Saturday morning rec league at 8 a.m., Mike. I'm just saying I thought it was a cool idea. And because Seton Hall was a part of it, I, I got kind of excited because for me, that was that like glimmer of hope. And, and, you, see, and you know what? You're assuming they'd be a part of it. How I'll do you know right, the I'll tell you right now. I'll, be, I'll be honest. If it was the year before where we were projected to be a 10 seed, I hate this idea. <laughs> we're not in. We don't get a shot. Seton Hall, you know, Miles Powell's like the hottest player in the country. Seton Hall got robbed as a 10 seed. We didn't, we didn't get our chance. You know, a sillier idea than actually doing this 16-team tournament was actually holding a selection Sunday show to show all the teams that would have been in what they're missing so i'm the debbie downer i'm the grim reaper i am the what do you call me the the, the guy of dark what am i the man of darkness the master of darkness the Mike, master I'm just of darkness bringing up the silliness that's going on here all the cash grabs are all coming out now and this is what this is so i'll de- i'll defend the selection sunday show potentially right so once again it offered the opportunity for more closure it recognizes the accomplish of making it. I know you're going to play the other side of the coin, make what, but for some teams getting into the tournament is the accomplishment. I understand that you want to be in the moment and play those games and possibly have an upset. But looking back, we have accolades for these programs to say, you've made it for a fifth straight year at Seton hall. Something that has never happened before in program history. Is, is that the way that history gets written now? Do, do we technically make it for a fifth straight year because we automatically would have been a, a three seed they're, they're, or a no, four seed? No, next year is going to be your fifth straight NCAA tournament. It's not a year thing. It's the how many tournaments in a row have you had? And what what about the programs that have just never made it for years? And I know we're not allowed to talk about anything red on this podcast, but the reality is you got a program like Rutgers. And man, I would have Ooh. loved to see it. Uh, I would have loved to see it play out where there's a bunch of bid stealers and the committee doesn't like their only their two wins away from home and they would have got snubbed. But the reality is they were in that nine, 10 seed line. They were, they were comfortably in this tournament and they had not made it in over 31 years. I mean, if this was two years ago or a couple of years, I, I don't remember exactly when it was, but when we look back and Northwestern made the tournament, Oh, happy day that Northwestern ended the drought. What a what a glorious day in college basketball. So we celebrated that. And and yes, they won their opening round game and they had a respectable game in the second round of the tournament, but it wasn't the point. They're gonna look back years from late years later and say, Northwestern made it. They made it. That was the accomplishment. That was the shining moment for that season. Rutgers loses that. Other teams lose that. I mean, when was the last time Hofstra made the NCAA tournament? I think it's been like over a decade before they got in and they just won their auto bid before they canceled all the tournaments. It's there's more to it that this would have given a little more closure, Tommy, you know what? And it also kind of puts a little validation for even the teams that had a chance to win it. I know that's, it's not going to be enough, but you take a team like Dayton, they were going to get a one seed. Does, does that not validate the season for Dayton? You're making San a Diego whole State lot of gonna... assumptions here, Mike. I I, I know you're not a big I know you're not a, I know you're not a big conference tournament guy. 
What if they got bounced in the first round of their tournament? Then San Diego State would have gotten a one seed. Either one what of those teams. What if San Diego did. State they, got bounced in the first did. round? They already did. They already lost in their championship game. They already have their two losses. Mike, they were you're, already talking, you're talking about assumptions. I'm assuming a lot of things. You're not talking about a whole lot of hard fact here. If Seton Hall would have gotten a three seed, Tommy, it's only the third time in program history that they had gotten a three seed or better. There's validation there's validation for the body of work of the regular season. I, I just think it would have been another piece of closure. Go it's ahead. Give me the other side of the argument. Cherries and nuts, Mike. Uh, here we go. And you want to talk about a money grab, Tom? You want to talk about a money grab? Those coaches work hard for their bonuses. Right? You know, did, didn't uh, didn't Jordan from Rutgers have like a beat Seton Hall bonus in his contract? Most of these coaches have NCAA tournament kickers in their contracts. Do you not pay them? If, it's, if I have to assume, or I'm not allowed to assume, and there's a lot of hypotheticals floating around, and I got 150 grand riding on the line in my contract, does the university have to pay it out? I'm going to be more concerned about the guy at the concession stand and the guy selling T-shirts out there in the mezzanine about him making his money rather than some overpaid coach. I'm not worried about that. So I, I, I guess I shouldn't be too upset if a guy's making like $2 million plus that he didn't get the extra little yeah, icing I'm on not, the cake, right? I'm not worried about it. No, but it, it is a good point. But you know what, Mike? This is all cash grab. NCAA would not have been even remotely considering the fact of any kind of stamp of validation with this. It would have been simply... How much money can we draw in from the revenue for advertising that we can put this in? And you want some sort of validation of a season for a tournament that doesn't even get played? Man, that's just rubbing salt in the wound if you ask me. Hey, congratulations, Rutgers. The first time in 8 million years you're making the tournament. That's not going to be played. Oh, yeah. Recognition of what accomplishment? That means you would have had to done something for it to be. You need to hold it for it to be an accomplishment. This isn't an accomplishment. This is just plain dumb. The point of Selection Sunday, outside of having this high-rated show, is to let the at-large schools know that they're in and then let everybody know what seed they're in and what region they're playing in. What's the common theme there, Mike? It's all setting up the tournament. You know, Mike... The thing that just got canceled. That's just dumb. It's not as dumb as the Florida Senate proclaiming FSU as national champs. You know, you would think the Florida Senate has more important things to worry about right now. But I mean, I know it's Florida. I mean, the whole Florida man memes got started for a reason. Oh boy, I'm not going to even go anywhere close to that rabbit hole. Let's move on. Let's talk about this other topic that's kind of getting thrown around the Twitterverse which is the eligibility of the athlete. A lot of people are out there on their soapbox. And on Friday, the NCAA Division I Council Committee actually kind of listened and they made a recommendation that eligibility relief should be provided to all student athletes who participate in the spring sports, which makes sense, right? They essentially didn't even play their season at all. Maybe a couple sports had just gotten underway, but they didn't even come close to a completed season. But should the seniors be able to get a special exemption for an extra year in the winter sports, i.e. college basketball, because that's what we're here to talk about? 
This this all seems like an emotional reaction to this situation happening and 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 the call for this has kind of died down as it's gone as the time has gone by a little bit. But Mike, again, I don't think it's a good idea. I'll let you come up with the pros for this. I don't even think it's a good idea either, but I will play devil's advocate and represent the other side of the coin here. Give the players a chance to fulfill their dreams <laughs> of playing in the NCAA tournament. So I, I'm going to kind of give you my, my cons. Should it be only players that have never played in the NCAA tournament? If I've already been there three times, does that not count? I mean, there's so many different ways you could spin this, but that's one of the arguments out there. Fulfill the dream of playing in the NCAA tournament. You know, finish out once again back to that closure idea. You know, if a team had a chance to go all the way, crown themselves a champion, we know that's not the reality of all 68 teams in the field, but it's the dream, right? So playing one more time gives you the chance to possibly fulfill that dream. It's also one more year to do something they love, Tommy. They're here playing the game out of the love, right? Not everybody's going on to play in the NBA. Not everybody's going to have a pro career internationally. We play for the love of the game. <laughs> what, what, what drives us inside our hearts? All right. I'm, I don't even know if I can say that seriously there. All right. Uh, they can graduate with a degree at the same time. You know, assuming they've already graduated, they can go get a graduate degree and come back and continue to play like we see with players who have transferred, who have sat or sat out with an injury. I already give you the con to that. Are we, are we saying that if they come back for a, an extra year of eligibility, does it have to be with the same team? Or can they grad transfer to wherever they want to go? I, I got so many other issues with this. I'll let you hit, hit the rest of them. Well, well, this seemed, like I mentioned, an emotional response to the situation. Uh, it, it It's not as... I'm not going to call it stupid, but it is a little bit silly. I mean, let, let, let's let's look at it this way. How And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but how many teams had already been done for their college year? Uh, like the entire mid-major world? <laughs> yeah, but, but, but even, let's just take a look at the Big East, which is what we care about. Before they stopped the game at halftime between St. John's and Creighton, you had at least two schools that were done. Done completely. That's not true. That is not true. Georgetown DePaul, was done. Georgetown DePaul, was done. DePaul is a perennial champion in the CIT. <laughs> but, but, but Mike, getting serious about this, you've got a ton of teams in the league, a ton of teams in NCAA Division One that are done for the year. They're done. And, and why are we only concerned about the seniors here? Okay. Why isn't it everybody gets an extra year of eligibility at this point. You can't tell me that the seniors aren't as aren't any more disappointed than the juniors, the sophomores, or whoever, man. So getting into the NCAA tournament is not a given for any school. I mean, look, look at North Carolina this year. North Carolina had a horrendous year because of injury, but they're not making it. Now you're going to tell them, Everybody come back. You can play one more year. There's way too many things to think about. You're thinking about rosters here. You're thinking about incoming freshmen now. You know, you, you've you got situations where you're going to have... I mean, who's going to pay for these scholarships now? I mean, some oh, schools oh, don't have the, the budget. Oh, because the other unit, yeah, they don't have the budget. Jeez, have you seen some of the tuition costs going smaller around our country? Schools in the, smaller schools don't have the Duke budget. You know, they can't pay the salaries that these kids are earning, you know? <laughs> I, I would make the argument that you also have to add additional logistical travel costs 
right? So you're more hotel rooms, uh, extra spots on a plane. If you're not chartering a plane, th there's just an increased cost all around. And I'm with you, you log jam everything. So I got an incoming class of five freshmen or maybe some transfers because I have four or five guys graduating out the door. So if we're going to make exemptions for the roster size, we're talking like five, five, six roster exemptions. So th this team gets five. You only get two. Do players then decommit? Cause I don't want to go sit for a year behind. I mean, if miles Powell's coming back and I was the projected two guard for Seton hall, which once again, I don't think we recruited anybody to back bill miles, but if that I was that guy and miles decides to come back, do I, do I still commit to Seton hall? I'm not playing behind Miles Powell. You got Miles Powell, Shavar Reynolds, and then you're on the bench, right? It's a logistical nightmare. I think it was one of those things that came out. People had really good meaning behind it, but they weren't thinking of it logistically. Now, but think about this. Say Miles came back for a fifth season, which guaranteed he's not coming back for a fifth season. Now he breaks these all-time Seton Hall scoring record. You put an asterisk on his name. You were calling for an asterisk to be put by Nick Workman's name because people need to know that he did it in only three seasons. Now you've you got someone coming back for a fifth year, basically a fifth full year. Because what what did Miles miss this year? A potential six seven games at this point. It was a nice thought. It's not realistic. Look, look, Nick would get an asterisk because he's old school. Miles would get a hashtag next to his name <laughs> with, with, with the word Corona next to it, right? I mean, speaking of eligibility, there were so many tweets that Miles Powell put out into the Twitterverse in re recent days. But but one of them was like, oh, I could come back. And they put like, you know, all these like, you know, emojis that you had to try to like interpret how he meant what he meant by that right so i liked your idea when we talked about this let's not try to kind of figure out what they were trying to say because i think it mapped out pretty good he was going through the stages of grief right you went through the stages of grief earlier in the podcast on one of the episodes this year so i, I think it's fitting that we see the evolution of how miles is dealing with the coronavirus relative to the tweets that were thrown out in the world i'll start with the first one but the first one kind of doesn't really exist the first stage of grief is denial. You know, we really couldn't find one that was specifically tied to Miles in this case. But I got to believe that while this was all happening in the hotels in the pregame, everybody's got to be going, you got to be kidding me. No way. And then they interview Kevin Willard. And we always got to have a Kevin Willard quote on the podcast. So here it is. Kevin goes, the hardest thing is all the people that put the work in had no say on the decision or how to make a decision, or how we got to this point. He goes, that's the frustration at this point. They're all in a bit of shock. So Kevin is representing his team, the Pirates. Miles is part of that group. So I'm going to assume, based on that quote from Kevin, Miles is in denial at that point when that communication reaches the fan base, right? Spoken like someone who's never worked in the real world. I bet Kevin never even had a job at a Dunkin' Donuts serving coffee. The people that made the decision aren't the people that do the work. Oh, Kevin, come on, man, wake up. Now, we searched through Miles' timeline. 
And the next one, I think, captures anger. He ended up sending something out that said, at least I ended up a champ and had this kind of a weird-faced emoji uh, at the end of it. And we looked what up What the heck emoji. does that mean, though? What does that mean? I don't know one anything the, about these emojis. <laughs> no, but that was a little odd. But that one, one of the definitions of that one was irritation. He's irritated about how the season ended. So he's saying, well, at least I got to end a champion here. All right, we might be forcing it, but if it's the narrative, I'm with you. Okay. The next stage is depression. So Sandro throws out a tweet saying, thank you, 13-0-35-30, obviously all the seniors, for everything I love, y'all forever. Heart, 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 explanation point, broken heart, whatever. And then Pavel's got, I don't even, I, I, I'm like completely just illiterate to this emoji stuff, like sad face, downer face, guy walking away, right? If that's not depression in the emoji world, I have no idea what is. <laughs> he could have thrown out the emoji with like the sand crying droplet. That might have added an extra touch to it. But I, I think he portrayed Sandro. I'm sad. I, I love you, bro. But I'm, I'm depressed right now. After depression comes bargaining. And he retweeted something that was talking about giving the seniors another year of eligibility. And he put out a tweet saying, hmm, another year at the hall? With the guy with with the emoji with the with the hand on his face like he's considering it. What's funny is of all the Twitter responses that get likes and responses, man, this one blew up. Miles goes, hmm. And everyone's like, yes, come back again. Best team ever. We could do this. Thousands upon thousands of retweets and comments. Did we not just cover the entire section above about how ludicrous that was? And, but you know, and there was no shot of Miles coming back at this point. If we didn't think he was coming back after his junior year, there's no way he was coming after this year. So I still think most of the fan base is still in denial, but obviously Miles has moved on to the last stage, which is acceptance. And then he puts out this tweet the other day, or I think just today actually, and it says, for some reason, I just keep thinking that something is going to pop up and the season's going to continue, you know, with the hand to the face. Seeing all these kids transferring, all these coaches coming and going, all the goodbye posts really making me realize it's over. And that's and if it, that's Tom, not it, acceptance, I don't know what is. I'm sorry, man, but it's going to be a long road back from all this. It just really is. Well, speaking of roads... We have come to the end of the road to 2494, and we didn't quite make it to the end, Michael. No, unfortunately, the road comes to an end, and Miles will not pass Nick Workman for second place all time on the Seton Hall scoring list. He will finish with a total of 2,252 points, still surprisingly 21 points shy of Nick the Quick. We thought it was a foregone conclusion that he might have already had second place heading into the Big East tournament. But at least by the time the Big East tournament came to an end or the NCAA tournament was over, Miles will be sitting in second place. We were hoping and holding out that this possible dream run might get him back into the Terry DeHair conversation. But at the end of the day, just kind of how the cookie crumbles, right? No one expected Hazel to get hurt his senior season and lose the time that he did and finish third. And here's Miles kind of going through an unfortunate situation, leaving him third on the list as well. Kind of a little bit ironic in that sense. Well, Michael, this is still a, a accomplishment to celebrate. He's third on the all-time list. 
who would have had this in mind when they signed the chubby kid from Trenton to come in it four years ago? Nobody thought that this was going to happen. There's no stinking way. This you has did, been a Tommy. Fantastic, Tommy, you did. fantastic year. No, I got. I got to let the fans know. You called this, Tommy. This was you. Wait, <laughs> no man, I did not. Uh, call I'm you gonna. I'm story. gonna rewind to four years ago. Second game of the regular season. Miles Powell goes off for 26 at Iowa in the inaugural Gavit games. And there's Tommy picking up the phone, calling me, going, "I love this kid. There's something special about this kid." I'm telling you, Mikey. Mikey, these conversations that we just had on this phone call right now. This is podcast material, Mikey. <laughs> People want to hear these types of conversations. I thought you were nuts, but four years later, here we are, and we're talking about Miles Powell, the, the freshman who put in 26 at Iowa, now third all-time, Biggie's player of the year, and they're rolling out the AP All-America vote in a few days. Pretty crazy stuff, huh? I would have taken KC-level special. I would have taken our tourist level special. There is no way that I was going to think that Miles Powell was going to get up to the Pantheon. No way. There's, I'm not taking credit for that. There was, If I could have saw that, we'd be talking about Jahari Long becoming special as well. But there's no, no, no way in, in I can that, figure this out. In that conversation, we were not debating whether we retire 13 for all time. No, that, that was not part of it. Yes. But, but there are going to be moments to celebrate going forward. Obviously, things like raising 13 to the rafters is on the table. So I'm still I'm still mourning, Tommy. But for you, the wake begins Irish style, does it not? Michael, we need to celebrate, not cry. So let me give my final soliloquy here, man. Friends, we are here not to mourn the loss of a potential generational season, but to celebrate an amazing four or so months. We saw the highs, we saw the lows, we saw the best of times, and yes, we saw the worst of times. We saw Miles Powell get injured not once, but twice, and twice like a phoenix rising from the ashes. He came back with a performance that we did not expect. But this wasn't the only injury bug that bit us. Sandro went down, and the team was able to pull through. As a matter of fact, with both Miles and Sandro being down and out, they took a top 10 ranked Maryland team and beat them. And this team did something that hadn't been done in almost 30 years. This team traveled to Philadelphia and beat Nova on its home court. When was now, Michael? When was now? And for only the third time since the Big East formed, we can call ourselves Big East regular season champs. And I know you're going to say it's like kissing your sister. But the first time we did this, we also tied with a team. We tied with Georgetown to win one in the 90s. And then we finally won one outright. And no pandemic can take that away from us, Michael. Time to be critical about this team will come. Probably next week when we do the season review. But for now, so close to the abrupt ending. Let's put some love out there. And let the team know how much we appreciate them.
So, so here's my problem with your soliloquy. I, I thought you were channeling your inner, like Abraham Lincoln, amazing four years and so months. You know, da Daniel Day-Lewis would be like really upset with himself right now. Like, really? I, really? I was trying more for Jimmy Swagger, but what can I say? I get it. I get it. There, There is a lot of positive, but for some of us, we just still feel a little unfulfilled. Like there's unfinished business. And we're going to talk about it next week. That'll be the recap. We have to put a bow on it in some capacity and say, where do we feel when this is all said and done? Fine, I get all that. And I know what you want to do here. And I can respect that because it's not just me on one side of the fence crying up a river. There are a lot of people on that opposite side wanting to cheer, wanting to say their thank yous. So I know you reached out to some of the fans. Not everybody got back to us, which, which is okay. Might not be their form in which they want to share. But for those who did respond, we have some audio clips in which they're going to kind of share their appreciation for this pirate team for the 20 season. And I think that's just a fitting way to kind of end this specific podcast. Michael, when you go to awake, you're trying to give the folks who are injured the most, the most love. And no matter how us fans feel about it, the people that are suffering the most are the team. So they should have a little extra love. They should know how people feel about them. So here are a few folks to give them that love. This is Ben from Houston, class of 1994. Hats off to the players, coaches, university, and fans. I'm most impressed and proud that we have multi-year players that excel in the classroom and on the court. Also, how the team responded defeating number seven Maryland without Mamou and Pal, as well winning at Villanova for the first time in 26 years. Congratulations on a great season. Go Pirates! Favorite moment of the 2020 season, they just never gave up. They're down 20, down 10. Um, took my daughter to the rack, she's 10. They're down 16, it's late second half, Quincy made a steal, made a layup or a jumper, and uh, he's pressing, clapping his hands, not giving up. My daughter turns to me and says, I love Quincy, he never gives up. Hi, this is Joe Palmer from Fairfield, Connecticut, class of 94, Twitter handle at Joe J Palmer. Just wanna thank this team for such an amazing year. We're all so sad that we're not gonna be able to see this season through see what you guys could have done but we're still so proud of you and appreciate everything you've done to make seton hall pirate basketball great again thank you guys this is robert also from san diego graduating class of 95 the boss on twitter at robert w cross too many memories to count this year row incredible growth from his junior to senior year Q refused to back down once more, always up for the challenge. Miles Powell, what else can you say? From Trenton, a great basketball player, but even a better person. I wish they had been able to pursue their dreams this March, but more importantly, I am proud that they are fellow Seton Hall Pirates forever. Love you guys, stay healthy. Hi guys, my name is Charles. I'm from New Jersey. I am a graduate of Seton Hall University, class of 2012. And I want to give a special shout out to the men's basketball team. Thank you so much for a tremendous season and for all the great moments. Special shout out to the seniors, Q, Roe, Isaiah, Miles. Thank you so much for your leadership on and off the court. Uh, you laid a foundation for the younger guys to follow. Best of luck in your future endeavors. And for the younger guys, continue on their legacy and lead us to the promised land into a championship next year.
So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please listen to our previous podcasts, which include interviews with former players, Mark Bryant, Marcus Tony L, Lavelle Sanders, Jerry Walker, and Shaheen Holloway. For Tommy Chilkaharski, I am Mike Dizzy Dizzyri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. Thank <laughs> you.